0: Welcome to Health Talks Now, bringing you the facts you need to keep you and your family well. We're happy you're tuning in today. Baptist Health is committed to providing compassionate, high-quality care that is centered on you. Listen to all of our podcasts to hear from Baptist Health physicians about the latest medical advancements and treatments, and get trusted information on timely health topics from our healthcare professionals. Whether you want to learn more about a specific condition or procedure, or find tips for living a healthy lifestyle, Baptist Health is here to help you become a healthier you.
1: Hey guys, I've got a special episode of the Health Talks Now podcast. I know you're cooped up at home right now, and it hasn't been easy. We're certainly in this together, but we'll get through this together. I turn today to a unique guest for a timely conversation. Chief Medical Officer, Baptist Health Floyd. I think you'll enjoy this one. Baptist Health Floyd released your public service announcement yesterday, and the audience reach was wide. The message was clear. And we're talking today, on March 31st, over the phone to learn more. Dr. Krishna Kanajeti, thank you for making time to speak with me today. No problem. You've issued a warning to Floyd County residents, in the PSA that caught readers' attention, saying that the county has become a COVID-19 hotspot. Why?
2: The main reason is uh, we were one of the first counties to start really testing. We've been uh, much more advanced in our relationships with different labs, including the UofL Research Lab, to do testing. So I think we've picked up more. And when you look at our rate of incidence, even based on the public service announcement I gave yesterday, when you say that there's over fifty positives and over a little a little over two hundred positive tests that came back, that's almost a twenty to twenty five percent incidence of positives. That's a high rate of uh, positives. And when you look at the statewide distribution and map, pretty much where the third highest region outside of uh, Hamilton slash Marion County, which is Indianapolis and then Lake County, which is outside of uh, um, Chicago. So Floyd and Clark County have become the next uh, next biggest spot uh, percentage wise per capita.
1: Sure. I saw today the update of 96 people alone were tested today.
2: So- yeah, that's correct. Um, and that's been a great feat by Dr. Harris and the Floyd County Health Department. They worked tirelessly to set up the first uh, drive-through testing area in uh, Floyd County and the drive-through is not drive-through in the sense that anyone can who wants to can come there and get tested but it's drive-through in the sense that you call ahead of time and you have a referral from your primary care physician or you get screened by the health county official and you get that um testing done so the majority of the tests that we've done today we're actually on uh, at the health department drive-through. The okay. emergency department is actually tested a little less today, which is a good thing.
1: Okay. What's your projection for these figures? Where are we trending?
2: Uh, the trend is definitely up. Every single day, the numbers are increasing. And we've had a couple days where we had exponential increases, so very significant increases. But overall, we haven't had any days where we're decreasing overall in total numbers tested, which is good because we're screening and testing more people, but obviously that all, that's also bad in the sense that that also means there's more patients that are meeting the criteria for testing, so that means there's been more wide exposure.
1: Okay. So given that answer, we have not hit the peak of the surge. What will that look like when we do?
2: No one knows when the peak of the surge is, just like no one knows when the flat in the curve is going to occur. As I said in my PSA yesterday, I think a lot of us in the healthcare industry are looking more towards keeping that peak as low as possible for as long as possible as we can and getting it on the downward slope when it finally levels off we don't know in our best estimations based on what dr fauci and the nih and the cdc have said and what our state epidemiologists are saying it's looking like somewhere around the end of april beginning of may is where we're potentially going to hit this peak Mm -hmm. um and i say this peak because there's always the possibility that it goes down for a period of time and then peaks again um that's general path of uh, viruses, uh, as we don't have cure for viruses. So, when that peak surge occurs, it's going to look much worse than it does now. You know, right now, as, as we're talking, we are at the hospital today, we have 13 positive patients hospitalized, plus 28 other, what we call PUIs, or persons under investigation. So, that in and of itself, is a high number. We've already had to open up a second uh dedicated what we call COVID unit or coronavirus unit that is handling the patients that are strictly positive or persons under investigation. So when we're talking the peak or surge being, you know, three weeks away or four weeks away or five weeks away, that that definitely makes me nervous and makes all health healthcare providers nervous.
1: Sure. Looking at the demographics for positive cases The groups most affected are 50 to 59 years old, followed by 60 to 69. But I found it interesting that 30 to 39-year-olds outnumber the 70 to 79-year-old group. Should we anticipate that the trend for younger people to become more infected to continue increasing, is, is that going to continue to be a problem?
2: I think that's more a function of, and the answer is, first of all, that the this virus doesn't discriminate on age. Sure. Um, there's been international reports of newborn babies having uh, COVID-19. There's obviously the majority of uh, people hard hit by the disease are elderly uh, patients in that greater than 60 population. Having said that, there have been very severe cases, deaths in all age groups.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so. I think the trend we're seeing of more of that uh, middle-aged group that's getting tested positive is just because our screening has increased.
1: Okay. Okay. With each update and streaming news conference, we hear of the changes and recommendations. What should we do when we hear of the increasing numbers? And what should families do who are impacted when it's their loved ones that have tested positive?
2: so when their loved ones are tested positive first and foremost follow the health department's instructions for quarantine Uh, whether it's obviously if they're able to be healthy enough to be quarantined at home then make sure that you're following the health department's direction on quarantine and then for them to self-monitor again under the direction as as family members and as contacts of the positive person for them to be self-monitoring at home and uh, taking the proper uh, precautions as recommended by the health department, so they can be screened potentially if they need to, if they develop start developing symptoms, so they can get screened. But again, it it's hard to say because the the virus can often lay asymptomatic for days uh, while you're positive. Um, so if you're a con- uh, a family member of a known contact, um, the recommendations are getting stronger every day to to self-quarantine, so. Okay.
1: Is there anything that we can do as the public to show them support?
2: Living up to your social responsibility, living up to your civic responsibility, making sure that you're helping uh, people that can't help themselves. Um, if there's, you know, friends or family members, elders, people that are um, more hardly affected, um, making sure that you're offering to help them, whether it's, you know, making that grocery trip for them so they don't have to get out. And so, you know, if you can get yours and a family or a friend's groceries or something done all at once um, to do that, obviously our community as a whole needs to get together to support everyone. I mean, undoubtedly, this has uh, affected all of us in different ways to different Levels, but it's affecting us economically, socially, and health-wise. So just recognizing that everyone's going through this, and uh, obviously it's human nature to wait until it hits home or someone you know or love has been affected. I hope that as a community that we can uh, see and and just do the right thing to um, embrace um, helping other people while also maintaining the orders given by the federal, state, and local uh, governments. Certainly. So just
1: I've seen an increase of uh, blood drives as well as charities and the hospital foundations as well.
2: So one of the the big issues is with all of this, just like personal protective equipment, other medicines, other resources, we are short on things like blood because uh, people, rightfully so, aren't getting aren't going out for unnecessary trips. But if there's a dedicated, you know, blood drive and that's controlled by you know the Red Cross, by the health department, those are things that all the proper precautions are being taken mm-hmm. to decrease and minimize impact and you know definitely encourage people to still do those things uh, so we can help our community. For example, in Floyd County, also going back to what you said about the foundation, our foundation has set up a, a COVID specific charity pot that they're using to help providers, help nursing staff, help ancillary staff get the things that they need and to help the community uh, with the things that they need with those dedicated funds. A lot of times, you know, we have to work within certain confines as a hospital institutions or system in order to procure certain items like personal protective equipment. And the foundation can sometimes go a little bit outside of that box to help us. Um, So there's a lot of things like that that can be done. Um, The other thing I would say from a community standpoint is, is remember there's different ways that people were affected, not always just from the healthcare standpoint, but from uh, the community standpoint, I always like to use the example of my wife who used is an old hospital administrator, but now she's finishing up her uh, graduate social degree, and she works at the New Albany County Schools um, for her practicum. And she tells me every day that she's been worried sick because of the school's closing, that the kids that came to school and were getting their primary meal at the school you know, aren't getting that, those resources and those abilities. So it's important for us as a community to remember all those things too and to do what we can to uh, support everything and not, not just our uh, healthcare um, facilities, but everything.
1: Sure. It is a big picture. As the chief medical officer of Baptist Health Floyd, you're also a practicing nephrologist in the region. And as I understand, you're a resident of New Albany. You pointed out something yesterday in the PSA, that the community hasn't fully embraced the warnings by Governor Holcomb and his stay-at-home order that was issued six days ago. How does that impact community transmission?
2: So the definition of community transmission is when a disease is transmitted without a a clear-cut cause. And the way this virus is stealthy is, like I said earlier, is that it's that patients or people are asymptomatic for days before needing to uh, go get tested. So during that time, they can transmit. So that's how community transmission is worse. So if you're out and about, you can be healthy, you can still pick it up, you can still transmit it before you even have signs. And that's that's where my PSA, that was the biggest uh, reason why I, why I put out that PSA after talking to Dr. Harris, uh, the Floyd County Health Department Director, uh, is because of that. Is because if everyone's just out and about in business as usual and not taking heed to it, this is going to get even more exponentially worse than than it has to. So mm-hmm. we all have the ability to help that apex from getting
1: too high so yeah Uh, leading into the next question i was going to ask you i'd love for you to elaborate a bit more Is people are still going out and about and they're if they're honoring the six feet social distancing rule can you make that clear distinction why that is it's so much more important and critical to remain at home to as you said yesterday in the announcement to shelter at home and in place
2: so again the the mandate from the governor's mandate, and I'm not a a lawyer or politician by any means. no one knows what the enforceability of any of that is, but it's all based on scientific research and uh, protocols and and guidance from our uh, CDC and National Institute of Health. Initially, it was thought that we could flatten that curve, decrease the incidence of the disease by trying social distancing of six feet because generally speaking the virus for the most part is not airborne it's it's spread through droplets whether it's coughs sneezes respiratory droplets Uh, now it can be transmitted off of certain surfaces and things like that but the whole idea behind social distancing initially was that you're going to decrease that risk so that was the initial step okay okay? the social distancing as a whole across the world hasn't really panned out the shelter home and in place is that next step. It's about not only staying away from people six feet when you do have to go out and do those essential things like going to the grocery store or picking up your drugs or going to a a, a doctor's office. But it's also about basically if you're not living with the person, you shouldn't really even be around them Mm -hmm. um, because, that's the real way that you're going to decrease uh, the transmission of the diseases. Unfortunately, we can't, uh, no, I shouldn't say, unfortunately, I don't want people to get it wrong, but I mean, we're not a, a communist country uh, like China where everyone's forced to stay at home and, and they have drones flying around the city of Wuhan and uh, the Huai province to make sure everyone's home. So we have to rely on, on our uh, society doing the right thing and trying to, Um, stay home.
1: Got it. Well, so if someone believes that they are experiencing symptoms, what should they do? Where should they turn?
2: So obviously, there's a whole basket of symptoms that have been identified. Obviously, the predominant um, symptom is fever and then second most cough and then shortness of breath and congestion, sneezing, labored breathing, feeling like you can't take a good deep breath and Even more recently, it's been shown that if you lose your sense of smell, that may be a sign of of, uh, COVID-19. So all these things, if you're feeling symptomatic, one, obviously, you should check your temperature. You should self-quarantine, call your primary care doctor, run everything by them. So they can screen you with the appropriate questions, make sure there's not something else going on that could explain a fever, for example, a urinary tract infection or a wound or something else like that. But obviously, if you're having respiratory symptoms, they'll screen you and then they'll make the referral to the health department. If you don't have a primary care physician, you can still call the health department and they'll screen you and determine whether or not you need to get tested. The reason to go to the emergency department or not go to the emergency department and self-quarantine at home is all dependent on the clinical symptoms. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you have mild symptoms and you're otherwise healthy, you you can follow your uh, primary care doctor's guidance and just self-quarantine at home and potentially not get tested. There's other options where they may refer you to our testing site. The Baptist Health Urgent Care Center at Highlander Point, they may send you up there, they may send you to the Floyd County Health Department, or if your symptoms are severe enough, you obviously need to come into the emergency department and get checked out.
1: Okay. We also have on the, uh, the website, baptisthealth.com a uh, assessment tool, COVID-19 assessment tool. And I know that the team has also been busy with e-visits, virtual care uh, some video visits as well to communicate. But if someone believes they do need to come to the hospital but and they're wary about coming to the hospital right now for care, what would you say to that person? And, and are there services still being offered at Baptist Health Floyd?
2: Yes, there are still services being offered at the hospital. If you're concerned that you're ill and sick, you need to come to the hospital after talking to your primary care physician and You need to get evaluated and treated. As far as services at the hospital, we've, in uh, the idea that we need to preserve uh, personal protective equipment and resources for this surge whenever it happens, we have already proactively discontinued all non emergent uh, procedures. In testing having said that we've set up alternatives for a lot of non-invasive testing and procedures such as for example a patient that's going to see a cardiologist needed to get a stress test or needed to get an anchor cardiogram even though we're not doing those at the hospital Mm -hmm. right now there's other sites where those kind of tests are available we're still doing outpatient labs we're still doing other uh, non-invasive tests at different locations. We're trying to minimize the traffic at the hospital with the intention of minimizing exposure to the community and to our staff and preserving our resources. But if if you need to come to the hospital, that's what we're here for.
1: Sure. Well, speaking of PPE, is Baptist Health Floyd prepared? Do you have enough PPE?
2: Yes, we do have enough PPE as of right now. PPE is always a concern. And uh, it's a moving target depending on day-to-day, depending on the number of patients we have that are under investigation or positive and the number of people caring for them that have to wear PPE going in and not um, the one thing that we have is the help of the system. We have a kind of a system with our sister hospitals in Louisville, LaGrange, Lexington. We have a system number that we keep. That's how we know really what we have so a lot of media outlets a lot of people ask well how many days on hand of something do you have well can't really say that because everything's allocated by the system but even locally we have enough and the public has been great we've had you know dentist's office we've had Samtech, we've had multiple uh different people construction companies that have uh, even targeted, have dropped off any masks that they've had, both N95s and non-N95s. Um, so all of our donations for personal protective equipment are going through the uh, Floyd Foundation. So definitely we're still interested in receiving um, actual masks. We will not, as of right now, be based on CDC guidelines. Not we, We're not taking any um, homemade masks okay. at the present time for multiple reasons, but I would suggest uh, provide anyone that wants to do those kind of masks, provide those to some long-term care facilities around uh, the area of other uh, entities that could use that, maybe even like Kroger where, you know, the people that work there are getting exposed. Sure. Um, them having a homemade mask is is better than Nothing. But uh, so, and again, we have the fund uh, through the foundation that the public can donate to.
1: Great. Yeah, the support has been uh, amazing. I've seen uh, across the system, even tattoo uh, parlors and nail salons donating masks, in addition to the businesses that you would mentioned.
2: Yeah, it's been wonderful.
1: I want to ask you about providers. If a staff member tests positive, will they receive support?
2: They do. Um, they receive support one locally at the institution. Um, obviously, we care about our our providers, our nursing staff, and our ancillary staff. I mean, that's that's our bread and butter. That we can't be good or help anyone if if uh, we're not healthy and uh, taking care of ourselves. So we definitely at Floyd, we definitely understand that our staff is the most important asset, and that's why. Starting yesterday, we started masking everyone in the hospital that works in the hospital, whether they be um, environmental services or a nurse, even in low-risk areas, just to decrease that risk of community transmission or transmission for them or to patients. So if a pay, if a provider is positive and luckily we haven't had the kind of positives in our providers and our staff as some of the other institutions in the greater louisville area have um, we have the employee health and the health department uh, and our infection control and infection prevention team here at the hospital all can help in uh, getting that patient patients needs taken care of
1: great So there's something i've been wanting to ask you if we've been reading about the possibility of being asymptomatic with this disease. If that person is tested later, can antibodies be tested and detected? And along that line, can someone be tested twice?
2: So there are a lot of patients that are asymptomatic and that never do become symptomatic, theoretically, based on virology and immunology. Yes, that person could have antibodies detected. As of right now, the majority of the tests that are used to detect the presence of the virus are PCR-based or polymerase chain reaction-based, where they test for fragments of the virus RNA. The antibody tests are still under development. Okay. For the most part, there are a few that are coming out and hopefully out soon, so... Theoretically, yes. In practicality, right now, no. And can someone be tested twice? There has to be a pressing uh, need and indication to get tested twice because of the methodology of our testing, which is that, as I said, is that polymerase chain reaction of three different mRNA spots on the virus. The likelihood that you have a uh, false negative is extremely low and coupled with, the overall national scarcity of tests and test kits, that makes it very unlikely that a person can be tested twice. Having said that, if there's enough clinical indication and we have a triage committee of with our infectious disease doctor, our pulmonary doctor, and myself, uh, we can look at a case. And if there's worry that maybe the specimen wasn't collected properly, maybe the swab wasn't done properly, okay. and maybe the patient has really pressing symptoms that are indicating this, we've made a couple exceptions to get a patient tested twice. Okay.
1: I'd like to get your opinion on this. Should people be masking when they go in public for essential items if they're running the grocery store?
2: In my opinion, yes. If they're otherwise unhealthy, immunocompromised, again, the the big play in this is that they should be trying to stay at home as much as possible um, and only doing the essential things. Uh, You know, the problem with wearing a mask and doing it for prolonged periods of time is the integrity of the mask and whether or not it's soiled and whether or not the mask has been contaminated and whether or not, you know, you're you're just using a, a dirty mask and mm-hmm. that makes you even more likely to get uh, the virus. So the answer is yes, if used properly and okay. for the right patient population, yes.
1: Okay. Well, anything else you want to share with your audience today?
2: I just want uh, everyone to know that here at Floyd we're there for them if, uh, if and when they need us, and I, I can't express enough how awesome our our team has been and and risen to the occasion in terms of. Everyone uh, looking out for each other in the community and doing what they need to to get everything implemented as quickly as possible and doing it ahead of the curve compared to many other places. So I just have to do a shout out to everyone uh, that works at Baptist Floyd.
1: I really appreciate you jumping on this call with me today.
2: No problem. Have a good night.
0: You too. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to Health Talks Now. Staying healthy is a lifelong commitment, and Baptist Health can provide the support you need to lower your risks, improve your quality of life, and protect your long-term health. Visit BaptistHealth.com to hear our other podcasts, learn about our services, and find more tips to help you stay a step ahead of your health. Baptist Health. Be a healthier you. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as medical advice. The content in this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. This podcast is not designed to replace a physician's medical assessment and medical judgment. Always seek the advice of your physician with any questions or concerns you may have related to your personal health or regarding specific medical conditions. To find a Baptist Health provider, please visit baptisthealth.com.